Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode 265, and we are at the end of the year 2023. And we're doing what we normally do, which is take a look back at what happened in this year as a good reflection episode. My name is John Papa, along with my co-hosts, Craig Shoemaker and Ward Bell. And today we're going to learn what has actually evolved in addition to Ward growing out his hair over this last year, which <laughs> looks amazing. It's like, true. I, I got to say. <laughs> That's because I have some, John. <laughs> touche, my friend. Touche. <laughs> and I'd be happy to give you some because it's just, it's unmanageable. You know, it's funny. I, I was using Dolly the other day to create some uh, image generation. I was doing it through uh, Bing, you know, uh, out of my account. I was doing some image generation. And one of the things I asked is to create an image of me speaking on stage, just to see what it would do with some other parameters. And at every single picture, it gave me hair. And every single one of those, the hair was different. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit how to kind of chop this up. And we've done this episode of the last couple of years uh, doing our year in review. And we're going to do another episode soon on what we think is going to be coming. It's kind of our strategic bets for 2024. But today, we have two different areas we want to focus on. One is what, what really happened over this last year? What's the new stuff or what changed out there? And then also, what's not in the headlines? What are the things that we're not talking about that perhaps we should be talking about? So to kind of kick things off, Ward, the elephant in the room, and, and I don't mean the chopper that just flew over your house, but the elephant in the room is, is something changed this whole technology world last year. What was that? Well, I've been trying to learn how to spell it, but uh, AI, I hear, has been pretty big. Uh, <laughs> It is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, yeah. so much has come out. Like, what wasn't it like November 2022 when ChatGPT kind of hit the world by storm? Yeah, it's. Uh, but it's. Uh, we're really talking about hit the world too because it's. Um, it's on everybody's lips, um, whether they know what it is or isn't, and it's. You know, it's got people worried. Um, you know, about the world being taken over, some kind of dystopian outcome. And uh, and then there's those of us who find it, uh, you know, at least uh, it, it's possible to appreciate how it is making a positive influence on uh, our lives and how we see uh, the future um, for what we do as developers. Uh, and where I, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of it. I, um, I guess we talked about this from time to time, but, uh, but you know, um, I'm kind of curious what you guys think, whether anybody should be afraid of it. <laughs> I, I think that's an interesting point to, to kind of dive into a little bit because here, here we have a, a year's worth of experience behind us. And granted, a fair amount of that is people in general trying to figure out what the technology is, how do we use it, how do we apply it to our professional and, and personal lives. But in terms of negative outcome stories that come from the widespread use of these language models, what sort of things come to mind for you? Like having kids that are in school right now, I know for teachers, it's been a nightmare. <laughs> um, 
But I don't know that we've necessarily seen at this point um, large swaths of, of people being dismissed from their jobs because of the advent of, of ChatGTP. I know it's happened, but not like whole industries being threatened. So what, what other kinds of things might come to mind for you? Well, I never thought of my job. I never thought of myself when I'm th- even thinking of myself as a programmer, as, some, as, as somebody who, who, for whom coding is the most important feature of it. As a matter of fact, it's kind of the least agreeable part of what it means for me to be a developer. And, uh, you know, kind of like uh, if I was writing, the ty- it's like typing is not what makes me a writer. Uh, be, the ability to type faster doesn't make me a writer. Um, so I, um, uh, you know, I, I look at it as as uh, uh, doing the disagreeable parts of, of what a developer does. But that's imp- that's a very privileged point of view. Um, it's privileged by the fact that I have so many years of um, writing software that I. Uh, that for me, uh, my perception of the difficult parts of being a programmer is understanding what needs doing uh, and uh, almost nothing about how to actually do it. Um, And I don't think that's necessarily true for um, kids who are trying to figure out, should I go into this field or not? Um, and what they teach in schools where it seems, where it seems so much more, well, this is how you write a for loop, um, which, which is, uh, you know, I, I would be sorry to see them stop teaching that anymore that I feel all that sorry about, uh, how they aren't teaching cursive handwriting anymore in the schools. It's uh, you know, which was a big thing, right? I, that's, I was a subject I flunked as a young child. Uh, but, but I, you know, I don't think the world is a, a worse place because we're not teaching people how to write cursive in cursive anymore. Um, oh, anyway, so that's me talking. I don't know how you guys feel about it. What, what's, what's your perception? There's, there's a lot of ways to look at this, but I feel with AI, the thing that's most astounded me is there's a lot of things happening now that if you told me these things would be true a year ago, I wouldn't have believed anybody. Uh, and what that's really done for me is think about what are the things that I have always assumed are a certain way because just that's the way they are. And in my job and in my life, my personal life and my career, that possibly I need to reevaluate and think maybe there's some way to make this better or improved or more effective or more efficient through AI that I've never thought of before. And some of those are like that we've all seen the canonical examples of people taking, um, you know, meeting notes and summarizing them and then, you know, going in reverse. And one of the funny things I heard the other day was somebody said, that's kind of funny. In one sense, we're now getting to a world where, you know, a manager of a team at a company is now using ChatGPT and other tools to, with AI, to generate an email and a bunch of notes and like a whole presentation. And then the person who actually receives that 10-page thing that ChatGPT put together is then using ChatGPT to summarize that back to three bullets. <laughs> so it's kind of funny how we're going bigger and smaller. But it, to me, it's more, it's, it's less about the actual text side of things or the image generation than it is. What is it that I have just always assumed was that's just the way things work? Now I have to rethink about that and go, what if that wasn't the case? What if I could use AI and other tooling to kind of break those barriers down and just change the way I'm living my personal life or my career? That's where I think AI gets me excited. Well, and you know, you talk about stuff that you never would have saw coming. And 
I think one of the kind of the biggest losses of when we think about using uh, ChatGTP language models, anything like that, is is to think of it in terms of output. So rather than trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I get this thing to do this other thing that I I normally would have done, is instead of figuring out, well, how can I interface with this tool to help me become a better thinker, to help me see perspectives that I never would have saw, saw before, to help me bring together information and resources that I would like I didn't even know exist and and allow it to do that and and I think that that is certainly probably the for me the biggest thing that I never would have saw coming that I can basically have this assistant this person I can ask questions to I can tell it to ask me questions to probe my thinking better um and just solve problems in ways that perhaps I never would have in the past yeah I think that's true um I think that so. Um, uh, although, although I'd really like to hear how you how you see that is how how is it helping you think things think better? Oh, but uh, easily. So uh, if I give it uh, a a problem that I want to solve or a task that I want to do, I can ask it to give me unintuitive ways to approach solving that problem. I can uh, feed it bullet points of of approach that I want to take, and I, and then I'll tell it to assume the identity of someone in a completely different discipline area, and ask how it would solve that problem. I I pre-interview people for my podcast uh, using these types of prompts so that I get a better idea of like what sort of questions I could ask them, and so I I've enjoyed flipping it on its head. As instead of trying to figure out how can I get output that I can use from the model, more to say like collaborate with me and help me figure out how to, you know, approach something or think about something differently through prompt engineering. So we might have used that for this show, right? We might have said because we were just before we started, <laughs> we were trying to put together a list of the key things that had happened and not, and we were trying to draw uh, from our own experience we forgot that there was chat gpt there to help us so we may have to circle back on that <laughs> right exactly we, we don't start <laughs> in that place anymore and and there's even little things like think about how many meetings that i'm thinking about work but think how many meetings uh, that you always have everyone complains about them all the time what if you could actually summarize all those meetings with just a couple of bullets well that exists now today you, you could literally not be at a meeting and just get a summary of what were the key points that ward bell shared during such and such meeting. And it just generates that for you. And it figures out who Ward Bell is, if that person was the meeting, and does that. Um, and these are simple examples, but wow. Yeah, as long as there's somebody riding herd over it, right, John? I mean, somebody, you know, I don't want I don't want auto-generation of the uh, of the meeting notes without anybody looking at it to say whether that was really what happened. Because that's proven disaster. You know nobody's going to go and spot check the auto-generated meeting notes. Everybody's going to just exactly. like, take it and run with it. Well, that's a great point, though, is that's where you get to that term of hallucinations, right? We, didn't, we never talked about hallucinations until this year. Uh, and hallucinations being the idea that the AI generates some kind of answer to your query or prompt that isn't necessarily true and is totally made up about things like ask it, you know, to give me Ward's three bullet points. And then when you actually go spot check, you know, maybe it says he talked about red, white, and blue. And you go back in and Ward actually didn't. He talked about how React is the best framework out there. Well, one of the ways around that is that in your prompt, you can, in, I've done this many times, Important, all capital letters. Do not make anything up. 
Like if you can't come up with something to put in here, just don't. Um, and oftentimes it will recognize that and, and respect it. That's, that's prompt engineering, right? We're teaching ourselves how to use AI. Right. I think that's important, but I also think that even if it steered clear of the things that I didn't say, I'm not sure it would give a accurate rendition of the things that I did say or select the things that I said that I really meant as opposed to those that I was just joking about. Like we might hear about John's hair because we opened the show, um, you know, about, you know, who has a lot of hair and who doesn't. And this would be irrelevant in our meeting notes, I would think. So um, I, I, here's where I, I, I want to give the Microsoft, you know, I don't work for Microsoft, but I want to give them points for the uh, recent emphasis on first the selection of the term co-pilot and then the, the relentless drumbeat I'm seeing out of Microsoft that says, hey, this is, we call it co-pilot for a reason. That's because we don't want it to be the pilot. And <laughs> it's not your it second like, brain. Yeah, and like every presentation I've seen this year uh, from Microsoft uh, at um, the recent conferences has been uh, this sort of drumbeat, you know, we're here, it's here to help, but it is not here to do the job. Don't worry, use it appropriately, da 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 And so I think this notion of uh, AI safety is still very prominent. And I hope it stays prominent through um, 2024 and beyond. I agree. Responsible AI is is a massive area that a lot of companies and governments are starting to invest in. And I know the EU just had some AI principles that they released. Uh, I imagine this whole world in this next year, not again, looking too far forward, I imagine everybody's going to have more guidelines, governance, restrictions around how this all works. And, and that's a good thing, actually. It's a responsible AI movement. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, and we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know what, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework, data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. So bringing it back to programming, and this is going to lead us to another one of our topics. Um, uh, I think here's what I'm really looking forward to, which is, I alluded to it earlier, is that I should focus on what problem I'm trying to solve and let it write the damn code. Uh, and not only should it write the code, but it should write the tests for the code. Which brings us to uh, another topic, which is um, uh, what I sense is a growing disenchantment with um, the, the various testing mantras out there, in particular TDD, which I'm seeing more critiques of all the time, more question about whether that has, um, it has real value. 
um, or what kind of value it has. Uh, and on the show notes, I'll put a, a, a link to a guy whose work I really admire, who's a big TDD fan, and he's, he's trying to figure out why hasn't TDD taken over the world. And uh, he thinks he's got all the arguments against it and the counter arguments against it, but he misses on all of them uh, because he's so um, taken with it. But I think that now that, you know, now that we have um, AI, we can really just hand a lot of that. We can hand the work of testing off to AI, which brings us to the core proposition of TDD, namely that it somehow improves you, your design. And that's, that's, um, I think that's now, uh, worth challenging. Uh, anyway, um, this was my sly way of getting from AI to another trend, which is, <laughs> I think that there's starting to be a, a, well, there has been, but I think there's momentum behind a critique of TDD and what passes as agile or scrum seeing more and more, um, responsible critiques of that stuff, which is not a desire to go back to the world of waterfall or no tests, but it, it's, it's, it's a critique of following a process without assessing whether process it's, it's just loading up on process, more process, more process, and not asking whether that process is delivering the goods. I'd, I'd even say word that there's sometimes things that we do on our industry where we do something just to feel like we're doing something about the problem. It feels that way. And, you know, I, I'm even going to predict that the only D and D that's going to exist in a couple of years out of TDD, BDD and D and D is Dungeons and Dragons, because all these different things out there, you look at like GitHub Copilot, the number one use case I hear from people when I talk to them about it, which I do for a daily job is, oh, I use it to write all my tests now. And you think about why, when I ask why, because I don't enjoy writing those tests. And it, they're not doing it because they ma it makes their code better. Nobody says it makes my code better, makes my design better. Who I'm talking to, they're using it because it makes their lives easier. Now, I know there's people out there who feel differently, but that's one of the key scenarios that I see people using AI to get into it. And I'm with you. I, I think all this stuff should be challenged. Yeah, they're just satisfying some some um, managerial requirement, which, by the way, would drive TDD people and test and people who really take tests absolutely crazy. Absolutely, hey man, as, as we need ninety percent touch test coverage by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, exactly. thank you. At last, I can hit my metrics. Ah, that's not. <laughs> That's not <laughs> and I don't think any people. of us are saying here that tests are not valuable. We're, we're just saying that, you know, should this philosophy of TDD be challenged at this point? And I think that's worthy of discussion. The thing you have, I think I want to uh, go on about TDD is whether it actually makes your code better. And uh, I don't think there's any evidence that it does. How's that for an extreme statement? I don't think there is even a shred of evidence. So are you an extreme programmer then there, Ward? I am extremely. Extreme Whatever happened to that? That's another thing yeah. that's disappeared, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think with that, we might get some people on the show to challenge it, which which I invite and I'd welcome. But I like these discussions. Bring it, bring it. But but with TDD, other things that have gone along with this are things like Scrum and Agile and iteration. Wow. And oh my god! Is that just part of what we do now, or is that also something to challenge? I, I'm curious oh, what you think. Scrum has been a, a parade of rituals, um, supervised by people who don't know anything <laughs> about the rituals. problems. Yeah, it's just, it's like, you know, 
you got to go through, you know, you got to have your story points and you pretend that your story points don't actually translate to hours, but they, you know, it's totally useless if, <laughs> as, you know, if it doesn't, it, it's, it's, uh, standups for no particular reason. It's meetings to have meetings. Uh, it's retrospectives that don't actually, um, critique anything and lead to, uh, improvement. It's total lack of measurement. It's just a, it's a, it's a dream for people who are looking for a job, uh, <laughs> riding herd over people who don't, they don't understand. Wait, who's not looking for a job? I don't, I don't understand. Ah, you know yeah, what? Exactly. Wait a minute. <laughs> Is that dead too? Are jobs dead? Is that gone in the year of 2023? <sighs> Stupid jobs should be done. Word says jobs are dead. Stupid jobs should be gone. You know, what's what's funny about this too is I just did a quick Google for his scrum dead based on what you said. And I, I came up with an article that was literally just two weeks ago <laughs> as well, kind of discussing this exact topic. Off of scrum.org, by the way. Yeah, on scrum.org. <laughs> Which by in the summary of their articles, no, it's not. But uh, I think it's interesting because we just... Is it we don't talk about it as much anymore, some of these topics, because they are gone or dying, or is it because they just become part of what we do and they're baked into the ecosystem? I think people need a zeitgeist. Like we need things to Bless talk you. about. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> we need to innovate in some way or another. Like one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was the the life cycle of a front-end framework. And yeah. they're oftentimes are frameworks or just ways to solve problems. Like just take it even out of the framework discussion. Like we'll come up with ways to solve problems and it's like the new breath of fresh air. Um, you know, we're taking it back to the basics. We're going back to the roots. But then as time goes on, things just like we just naturally as people and especially engineers, people who want to solve problems and come up with frameworks and, and methodologies and ways of doing things we tend to complicate things. We tend to grow and expand things to the point to where you start to turn around and go like, well, how did we even get here? Yeah, so why do we use web frameworks anymore? I mean, I think you're arguing for get rid of them all and let's go back to just manipulating <laughs> HTML directly. Well, right? that, I mean, you know, I, I didn't want to say it in so many words, but I'm glad you picked up on that. So. Oh, man. <laughs> you're no. just doing this to get word going, aren't you? You're getting me going. <laughs> you're getting me going. Vanilla. JavaScript Ward, say it with me. It'll make you feel good inside. Yeah. He's trying to egg us both on Ward. I mean, you know, we both feel differently, but, and I know you're just doing it for the fun of the show, but I am. It, it's a good thing to challenge, though. I do appreciate the challenge of it because, as you both know, I think it was two years ago, we did an episode where I literally wrote an entire thing using vanilla JavaScript just to see what it felt like again after yeah. years of not doing that and avoided all the frameworks. And there were some things that had improved tremendously and others that were like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've got two hands tied behind my back well, right now. <laughs> just trying to get data in and out of input elements yes. with vanilla JavaScript is just so maddening. So, v Very much so. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. 
Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. Hey, I, I alluded to and hinted at, too, um, the job market when we were talking about this, too, when we was talking about, you know, um, people looking for, for a job doing Scrum. I think it's another thing that's changed in this last year is it's really been an interesting job market, for, especially for technology out there. Uh, I think the beginning of the year, I don't have the exact stats here, but there were a lot of different tech companies who were doing layoffs and eliminations and announcing them. Uh, even places like Disney uh, did a lot of these too, where they're like tech adjacent. And uh, I think that changed the market a lot for folks. Like there's, it feels like that has even come to a new head these days. But uh, it's curious to see how with the introduction of AI, the economy kind of changing around the world in a lot of places for the worse. And then the job market, which really kind of tightened up quite a bit. I think that's been a big thing that's happened in this last year. How do you feel? So as you look at that, John, um, and because like you're, you know, you guys are in the companies that are actually retrenching uh, as well as you see it. We all see it elsewhere. Um, what do you, what, what kinds of people are they getting rid of? Uh, I, you know, I don't see it as a, personally, I don't see it as AI displacing people. I see it as a sense of um, we got to, we, we went on a frenzy and um, we got, you know, we don't need all these people and we don't even know what we're doing with all these people. Yeah. And was that like a post COVID or mid COVID frenzy? I mean, it seems like a lot of companies hired quite a bit during that time frame. Um, I can't begin to, you know, postulate on who or what they're eliminating, but I agree it doesn't with you. It doesn't feel like it was AI that was anyway related to this. feels like those were adjacent and completely incongruent uh, topics. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I know business wants AI to displace us all. It would just like in, in the entertainment business, they would really love for AI to generate all the actors so they don't have to pay any of them and all that. But that's a fantasy. I don't see anybody who really thinks that, wow, we don't need all those people because AI is going to do it for us. I'm not hearing it. That was a big thing that happened this last year too, right? The whole AI influx into the screenwriters guild and the actors guilds and how they were on strike because of not only because of this, but part of it was they were worried about uh, not getting paid for work they were doing because they were going to use AI. Um, at least that's been part of what they projected. I'm in a, a, a part of Microsoft where like technical writers, like if, if chat GCP is going Bing chat, whatever, a language model is going to affect a division of the company in a significant way. It's going to be, you know, people who write code and people who write text. And what I've found is, you know, we haven't had an incredible amount of growth in terms of, of hiring new people, but it's not like people are losing their jobs left and right because we're just, the robots are writing everything. Now, maybe one day it'll come to that. But from what I've seen, especially with a company like Microsoft, the whole idea and this goes back to what you were saying, Ward, with the, the concept of a, a co-pilot is how can we use these tools to make what we're doing even better rather than how can we use these tools to replace people wholesale? I, I totally agree. So let me amplify Craig's point. Let me give you an, a very concrete example. There, um, there is so 
most of what we look at when we if we say man we're missing some we say we're missing documentation we're missing good advice we're missing this stuff and part of the reason that i find we're missing things about when we want to know stuff is because um nobody can get around to writing it um because they're writing other things and they're taking too long to write those other things so if if ai can improve our productivity it's not that we'll need fewer tech writers we'll just be using our tech writers this is the whole co-pilot idea to cover more of the bases to fill more of the the huge gaps and that we all know are there and can't get around to and i i kind of hope that's the same thing that happens with development there are so many things that the business wants and can't get to because the you know IT doesn't have enough time to get them done, and in part it's because it takes so long for us to do all of the grunt work to do the things that are on our plate, and we take too long to do the things that are on our plate. So if AI, you mean like writing tests? Yeah, you, and, well, <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I don't mean it just that way. You know, how long does it? You know, you got a simple problem, but it takes you too long because you can't remember how to spell a for loop. No, I know. Uh, you know, it, I think there's evidence that um, you know, a uh, thing like Copilot gives forty percent. I think I heard number like forty percent improvement. Well, um, that's freeing us to, up to do things we know we need to do. That doesn't mean fire anybody. It means fill gaps, do better. Um, so I, I expect, um, that we'll see, uh, a real increase in productivity over the next couple of years as people use these tools. And that, that means more problems get solved. Not, not that we get rid of people, but that we solve more problems that everybody recognizes need to be solved, but we couldn't afford to solve them because they took too long. Let's shift gears to some of the other things that are not in the headlines. And Ward, you raised this before our talk today, crypto. Wasn't crypto like all the news? Yeah, am I glad to see that gone? <laughs> uh, yeah, blockchain. Like, block, we were going to blockchain all the things at one point. Uh, and people were moving to Miami so they could set up blockchain advisories. Or they were moving to Bermuda. <laughs> so, uh, and man, has that uh, gotten the justified kick in the teeth. From my, at least it seems justified to me. I, I never saw the value. I'm not seeing it now. And it's good to see it, uh, that bubble explode. In, in a way, by the way, I don't think AI is, a bu- is that kind of, and nobody I know does. Everybody thinks AI is real. Vast numbers of us think the whole blockchain uh, crypto thing um, was um, vir- you know, virtually fraudulent. I don't know how you guys see it, but that's the way it reads to me. I've never owned any crypto. <laughs> So it's it's one that I if it's gone I'd be happy to see it go. Honestly, I just never had any interest in it. But uh, it does seem like I do find it fascinating. It does seem like we're not talking about it nearly as much as we used to. Even like all the it seems like it was a lot of upstart uh, last couple of years before this year of companies getting into crypto. So I think the buzz around it has either subsided or has just become part of mainstream. And I, I think it's more than subsided from. From what I'm seeing, at least. Yeah, I think blockchain, which people like to say, oh, I'm not into crypto, I'm into blockchain. Blockchain's in the same cat. It's it's a, a, a technique for solving a problem that very few people have. And so it's a solution looking for a problem. Um, and uh, that's why I'm glad we're not talking about it this year. So I'll, I'll save one last topic here that I would like to get your thoughts on. This is a little less technical, a little more personal. In-person conferences. 
is, is it gone? Is it coming back? Has it already come back? What's the value there? Okay, I'm going to go first because I go to almost none of these. Um, the idea of being able to get out of my house and be among uh, professionals and, and contemporaries like is really attractive to me. I just never do it for lots of different reasons. But I, I think that whole idea of just being able to be in the same room with people and being able to have that instant interaction and the networking uh, uh, aspects of it and the personal connections that you make, I, I think are, uh, again, I think they're super valuable. I just actually don't end up doing it myself. Did you look at videos of uh, these conferences? Do you look at the sessions? Just curious. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll watch uh, session videos of, of different conferences. But to me, like, I think that's kind of the, the whole point is that the value of these conferences isn't the technical information that you could get nearly anywhere. It comes down to the, the texture of the, the relationships that you build. Totally agree. And John, we've talked about this many times. I, I, I fell off the conference bandwagon this last year for various reasons. I, I miss them. I think they have that value. Um, and I'm looking forward to trying to get back on, you know, on that. I'm going to change metaphors here. Jump, getting back on the horse this year. Uh, so, but it does seem like they play less of a role ever since COVID, really, in people's um, lives than they used to. Do you you probably might have a greater insight into that, John? Yeah, I think it's been an evolution these last couple of years. Where right before COVID, I would say back in 2019 there was a constant problem of proliferation of these events. There were so many events all the time. Uh, and as a team who did a lot of these events, virtual and person, it was, it was just almost out of control. Uh, free ones, paid ones, et cetera. Now COVID comes and everybody shuts down for a while. And then when we come back. What I found is that this last year, there's been, especially there's been a really big appetite in 2023 for people to get that human touch. So I kind of just, shape what Craig said and say plus one, because I think people are feeling what you expressed, Craig. And that's, it's not that they can't learn this stuff or watch a video to learn it, but the part of the conference that always got me was the exchange of ideas with similar people or different people uh, to do things like what the three of us are doing right now, which we have the benefit and the privilege of being able to do this once a week with all of you. Uh, but how do you get everybody else engaged? You can't do some of this to the same degree as if you get together in person. And I've been seeing more and more conferences come back and have larger uh, audiences this last year. What I haven't seen is the proliferation of them, though, that we had prior to COVID. And in some cases, I feel like what's happened is the larger ones are back. And, you know, maybe that's financially driven. I don't know. But I feel like there's less of them. But the people going to them are really talking about the engagement they have with people. It's not, wow, I learned how to use GitHub Copilot here. It's, I got to talk to Ward Bell. We had a fantastic conversation about either Scrum is alive or dead. Um, it's that kind of an engagement you don't get otherwise. That's why we need to start doing spaghetti nights at Ward's house. I mean, there you go. That, that's there really you where go. this is going. So, so there's a really closely related topic here, which, I've, which you're reminding me of, John and Craig which is that the other trend is, are we going back, moving back into the office? I, again, I don't, we're, I, I have been working at home for a long, long time, but 
Uh, certainly COVID whacked that and people were only working at home. And there's been a, you know, now some companies are saying you've got to come into the office at least X number of days a week. And I don't know, I, you know, I hear about resistance to that and all that other stuff, but what's, what's your sense, particularly like what, you know, you guys work at Microsoft. So what's the, what's, how's Microsoft handling this challenge of people working too much remotely? Is it going back the way it used to be, or is it some intermediate ground? And isn't this, isn't this one of the biggest trends for developers or issues for developers in 2024 uh, as well? Like, am I going to the office or not? I think it's what a lot of developers are, are wondering about. Some companies on the list in front of me have already made these like requirements of, you know, you'll be back in the office X number of days a week or whatever. Um, I'm blessed that at my employer, Microsoft, we have not done that kind of a thing. Uh, remote is still good. In fact, Craig and I both work for Microsoft, work from home, which is great. But I know it, it's been a topic of conversation amongst companies who've had that announcement from their employers of you must come back. And honestly, I respect people who realize that in some ways there's a lot more time to work on problems. Your work life is so much more flexible. And some folks, you know, you, you drive to work and come back and there's, you know, an hour to, an hour from. Uh, there's so much non-productivity in going to one place that for me, and this is my biased opinion, I don't know if I would ever go back to an office full time. So what about, um, what about part time? What about a couple days? Uh, again, w you guys are, I would enjoy yeah, that to yeah. be honest. I would enjoy a place to meet with like-minded people. Agreed. Kind of building off the in-person conference thing, but not a edict of thou must be at this physical location from nine to five. Yeah. Um, I've actually worked in an environment like that before. That's awful. I've been working from home for 13, 14 years now. Like I wouldn't know how to act <laughs> if I was required to go into the office every single day, you know? Well, so I don't, I think that's dead. I think we can agree that for our, for developers, being in the office every single day is a non-starter, but I do see, I do see um, the need to do it um, certain amount. I have no idea what that is. It probably varies from place to place. Let me tell you a slightly related uh, 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 issue, which is that I don't see clients the way I used to, and this is decidedly a bad thing for business. Now, I didn't live at my clients twenty-four-seven in the back in the day, but I did go to the client site where there would be an office and other, and, and the client's people were working. So they were there, I was there. And now we could have real discussions and hallway discussions that were, um, they were good for my business. And they were also good, I think, for the client's business because I could see what real, what problems were, problems perhaps that I was creating uh, with my software. Uh, in ways that just, you know, you get together in a Zoom meeting, it's not going to happen where, you know, half the people aren't saying anything and you can't read their faces. Um, so I, I, th I think it's been a loss and I'm hoping that there is a new balance um, in, in in-person, whether it's conferences, client visits, uh, co colleagues working together, developers working together. I hope that's that's something we can look forward to or look backward at the end of 2024 and say it came back in the right measure. Yeah, maybe there's a balance that we haven't yet found with this in-person need of humans to connect with each other that we can find. Because I think what we're saying is that there was our extremes that we've experienced these last couple of years on one side or the other. And, and neither of those extremes are beneficial, I think, to humans. 
So this has been a fascinating discussion to kind of hear about these topics and review. And there's other things that we also mentioned as well. So as our final thoughts today, we're going to go around the table and I'll give each of you an opportunity to talk about what else in 2023 uh, did you want to talk about that either happened, went away, you were excited about, or you just feel like is worth mentioning? Ward, let me start with you. Oh, man, that wasn't where I was going to go with my final thought. <sighs> this is going to sound terrible. I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting older. Uh, and I'm nope, increasing. Not me. <laughs> I, not, I figured not you, Craig, because every time I look at you, you don't seem to have aged a, a day. <laughs> you know, but uh, at a certain point, uh, I'm wondering how many in our audience feel this way. I'm wondering whether, you know, um, how are we doing on intergenerational developer conversations? Are we all still relevant to each other? How, you know, I, I, Earlier in our podcast, I was, you know, in my rant, get off my lawn mode. And it's starting to worry me that, you know, maybe uh, I need to do more. Maybe we need to do more to figure out how to bridge these generational gaps and everybody stay relevant. So uh, that's a 2023-2024 project for me. And I wonder how our listeners feel about um, the, the different the developers that they encounter at different stages in their development life. That's a good point. Good to think about that. Craig, what are your thoughts? I, I, I'll, I'll build a little bit on, on what Ward was saying. And, and I kind of look at it as what sort of advice and guidance am I giving to my young adult children who are trying to figure out what they're going to do um, in terms of their career. And I've already had one uh, of my sons like change direction. Like he thought he wanted to go one way and now he's, he's going a different way. And, and I would just say like, it almost feels like a platitude to say, and, and it, maybe it's silly to even say this to our audience, but just to double down and realize the fact that like, there's so much available to us in terms of any discipline that you may want to pick up of any set of knowledge that you might want to learn. Like there's, there's kind of no reason for you not to experiment and try new things and you know pick up that new skill or or whatever you want um, because it's just right there and that even ties into how we can learn to relate to people who are later stage in their career and early stage in their career of being able to find things that we can learn and sort of work on together um, because there's always a mountain of new stuff that that's available to us in, in technology. Like it's just always a flood of new stuff. I'll say this. Who do you want to be? This is what's changed. I think a lot in 2023 is a very wise person once said to me, when you have a presentation or story, your message should really relate who that person wants to be. And by the way, that wise person was Ward Bell many years ago. And it's really stuck with me in a lot of things that I do. But this last year, it's really stood out to me. And that's not for me to decide, but for the, everybody I interact with is in all the things that we do, the way this world has changed, the way technology is changing, you know, even Ward's question that he put into the final thoughts here as well. It's really, who do you want to be? And I think it's really worth being honest with ourselves on who that is, how we use the technology, what kind of career you want to have, uh, how you want to engage other people. Um, what you want to do with your life. What is the impact that you want to have in your career and your life for everything? 
for me, it's something I think about a lot. Who do I want to be? And I make decisions based upon that person that I want to be. It's not based upon an OKR at a company. It's not based upon some expectation or outside perspective of who I am. But it's how do I determine my own self-value and worth? And I think about that a lot. And 2023 has made me think about that quite a bit, um, both personal and career-wise. And it's something I'd ask you all to think about. So I leave you with that question. Audience, who do you want to be? Now, I know that I'd also love to be some of my sponsors because they're so awesome and keeping us on the air. So thank you to IdeaBlade and Narwhal and AG Grid for keeping us on the air all year. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening to us every week. We will see you in 2024 every Thursday morning. See you next time.